There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. TheQuantEdge.com, great daily fantasy sports website. They're into the betting aspect of sports, the daily fantasy aspect of sports, and they're ramping up the football package right now. Lots of best ball information. Elliot Chris dropped his. we got Todd from PA doing daily podcasts. I just did one to, to preview some wide receivers, perception, reception options there, plus the baseball content. I, I uh, contribute over there uh, doing the baseball batter breakdown six days a week. We have much, much more over there, including amazing tools and a member Discord. If you want to get the rest of the baseball package for $10 off, use promo code Bubba. That gets you the rest of the baseball season for $74.99 by using promo code Bubba. But if you want to do baseball and try out the football package, you can get the all sports for your first month for $19.99 using promo code Bubba or a five-day trial for five bucks. So go check it out, thequantes.com, promo code Bubba. Also, if you get a rating and review on iTunes for the podcast, I'd much appreciate it. It would help me go a long, long ways in building this to be bigger and better than ever. I hope you guys like today's episode. It's a good one. Episode 181 with guest Craig Mish from FNTSY Radio and the Swings and Mish's podcast, talking recent MLB fantasy news some hot and cold hitters, and most importantly, a lot of Miami Marlins talk for real life and fantasy. So go check it out and enjoy it. Bench with Bubba, episode 181. Back everybody to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 181. Got a special guest lined up for today to talk some Miami Marlins baseball and much more in the fantasy baseball world. You can find him on Twitter at Craig Mish and his work over at FNTSY Radio and Swings and Mishes. Craig, how we doing, man? Good, Brian. What's going on? Not much. Good to talk to you. It, uh, this is working out. It's a pretty busy time in your Miami Marlins world, so we'll have a lot to talk about here, actually. Yeah, and uh, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to like the halfway point of the baseball season. So, you know, certainly I think it's kind of time to start evaluating things and really look at everybody's teams and figure out who's in and who's out. And Yeah, from my perspective here in South Florida, certainly things are, are kind of moving in the right direction for Miami as a franchise. But the pro side on the field, the record, you know, speaks for itself. Yeah, definitely. And we will definitely uh, focus on a lot of the uh, fantasy baseball impacts on things, but we will talk a little a little real-life baseball. And it kind of came about an hour ago, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on it because I know you've, you're deep into the, the baseball world. This whole report coming out that baseball's letting the Rays talk to Montreal as being like a part-time thing, I've seen a lot of negative reaction on Twitter already, and I can understand most of it. What's your thoughts on this? Because it just doesn't seem that feasible, at least from my viewpoint. Yeah, I'm not really sure how how the dynamic would work there, especially with players and having their families having to travel from the U.S. to Canada halfway through a year and play. Um, you know, I, I mean, look, sometimes these things, as you know, are put out there to see what the response would be. 
and from a PR standpoint, you don't know how legitimate they are. In this case, I would guess the smartest thing to do for the Rays would be to make one or two choices here. The first would be to do something like in the NFL, how Jacksonville plays some games in London. And, and I don't think there'd be anything wrong with that, playing two series or three series in Montreal. And then the sec- second option, unfortunately, would be just moving the team altogether to Montreal if that's what they really want to do. But very sad for me to see this, this path being taken. I did cover the Rays. For a couple of years, I lived on the west coast of Florida, and so I know how passionate that that fan base is. They don't really get 20,000 people in games every day, but they have a core group of fans in that Tampa Bay St. Pete area that really want to go and see their team there. But I think at this point, next couple of years, it, it does seem to be a strong possibility that this is the first step toward relocating. Yeah, there's been recent reports on the athletic and everywhere else that uh, there, there's there's options moving elsewhere. They kind of they're talking with the city of a new stadium. Lots of different scenarios. This one kind of showed up out of nowhere as a split option was very interesting. I'd love to see them stay in Tampa Bay. I know, like you see with the Marlins, they don't always have the biggest fan base showing up every day. Not that they don't have a big fan base, but you know there is people that there are people that enjoy the ball game down in Florida. So it's it's a shame to see it play out like this, but. I guess time will tell. In the end, I really want a team in Montreal, but this is not how I wanted it to happen. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some recent news fantasy-wise that kind of dropped in the last few hours. Real quick, Adalberto Mondesi goes on the 10-day IL with a groin injury. For a guy that you drafted wanting stolen bases, how, how concerned are you with this injury for Adalberto Mondesi? Yeah, I mean, it, it just really drives the point home, honestly. At the beginning of the year on my uh, radio show that I did, I think the the Vegas total on steals, the over-under on any player stealing um, was 56.5 or something like that. And I remember having the conversation at the time with my co-host Jim Bowden and saying that, you know, from a Vegas perspective, you just have to go under because all it will require is either Trey Turner or Mondesi to spend 10 days on the injured list. And then it becomes almost impossible, and here we are. So I I think there is some level of concern for sure. There's still a good chance that Mondesi comes back in July or even after the All-Star break and is healthy and still steals 20 or 30 more bases. But in fantasy, you really just can't count on a one-tool guy, and it's it's just going to happen year after year. It's almost the equivalent of drafting just a guy for saves. If you're going to take a guy for steals in a fantasy draft, Certainly you can do it in the mid-round to try and grab a guy to just get some speed and maybe some runs, but it is just so foolish thinking that there's going to be a 100-steal guy in Major League Baseball again. And that was some of the stuff we were hearing before the year. Oh, Modesty could steal 80, 90, 100 bases. You're just one injury away from having that all thrown out. That, that's definitely the case, unfortunately, with him. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's the whole, you know, is it worth drafting a rabbit theory? Like you just said, is all it takes is one injury or, you know, one slump even – and it just ruins everything. He's having a great year, but, you know, a groin injury is no joke when, when a speedster gets uh, put on the IL. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, Trevor Story left the game for the Rockies last night with a thumb injury. X-rays came back negative, but they're going to do an MRI to see if there's any ligament damage. He had a similar injury a couple of years ago that required season-ending surgery. Uh, the Rockies called up Brendan Rodgers today. This is kind of a mess, but assuming Story's going to be out for a little while, What's your interest in, say, either a Garrett Hampson or a Brendan Rodgers? Because I've seen different different arguments so far today. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the argument that you can make is that the Rockies, whoever they call up, they don't ever seem to devote a standard playing time to one player. And clearly with the Rockies investing the money and the draft pick in Brendan Rodgers, and he was the top prospect in the organization, you would have thought that he would have broken broken the mold when they called him up the first time and they would play him every day. But then again, we thought that about McMahon. We thought that about Hampson. So it just seems to be that the Rockies love playing their vets. And and I don't know that you'll ever have a top prospect in their organization that will come along that will play every single day. The last guy that did it, ironically, was Trevor Story. And, and I don't think that most people thought that he'd go on to – hit all those home runs that he did at the beginning of the season. I think he closed out with uh, 29 or 26 or 29 or something like that. So, um, I, I mean, look, I have some draft investment in Rogers. I, he is from Lake Mary, Florida. I've had a chance to see him play since high school, but at the same time, in terms of like bad budgeting or pick up and drop, the Rockies just do things differently than other teams. They don't ever let their guys just go out and play every day. 
And you know what? For them, it's worked. They've won a lot of games over the last few years, mixing and matching rookies and veterans. So not great fantasy, but certainly the Rockies uh, definitely know what they're doing. Yeah, like you said, it's working for them. And that, that's where, you know, fantasy re- does not meet reality sometimes, unfortunately. But, um, you know, none of us would be shocked if Pat Vileka is starting at shortstop tonight for the Rockies. That's just what they he do. He is, yeah. <laughs> oh, he is? I didn't even look. I just... <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Rockies baseball at its finest. But we'll, we'll wait and see. It's, it's just a matter of time before hopefully one of them gets a shot. Because I'm with you. Brendan Rodgers, super talented, super talented player. I'd like to see him get the playing time over Hampson, but it's just tough to see how it'll all play out in Colorado. Uh, Rich Hill, he left after one inning last night, pulled himself out of the game. Reports were every time he threw his curveball in the first, he kind of had this look on his face. Fastball velocity stayed good, but it's a it's a left arm, uh, forearm tightness, which usually doesn't lead to good things. He says he's fine. We'll see when reports come out. So he's going to be out for a little while. Jose Urias getting the start today as the opener. Ross Stripling coming behind. The idea is one of those two might take Hill spot in the rotation. If you had to be a wagering man, where would you put in your free agent dollars? I mean, Stripling did, has done a good job for them over the last couple of years. I would count on him, but we are a month away from the trade deadline, and we're talking about the same team that acquired you, Darvish, a couple of years ago. So I, I don't think L.A. is going to stand pat being, being 25 games over 500. I think they're going to go out and they're going to make a move. So any move that you make in fantasy may just be for a month because I would expect L.A. to add something to that rotation. Their hitting's fantastic, and I don't even know that they need to upgrade anywhere there between Bellinger and Muncie and Peterson and and honestly, uh, Beattie and, and, uh, and Garlic, all these guys who they call up seem to hit. Dodgers do a great job of that, but the pitching categories where they're going to need an upgrade, I'm sure Stripling for now will be their three or their four, their five, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but I, I would expect them to add a piece. So whatever you end up doing, I wouldn't expect more than three or four starts from whoever it is. Yeah, that's a good good point there is they have no problem spending, and they have tons of prospects to make moves if they need to. So very, very good point there. Uh, Kyle Hendricks recently went on the 10-day IL for the Cubs with uh, shoulder inflammation. It's been kind of a mixed bag, but nothing real solid in the reports on how severe this is that I've seen at least. And we know he's going to be out for a little bit. They have uh, – Chatwood opening today with the rookie, and I'm gonna. I really apologize for this. Adbert Alzale, you might have know it better yep. than me, but yeah, you got that right. Yeah, I uh, looked it up on Baseball Reference. They had nothing to help me out there for once, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Alzale, he's a stud prospect. Everything points to great stuff there. If if this is a long term Hendricks deal, are you trying to pursue a guy like Alzale on the on the waiver wire? You know, I'm not sure. He he really he's a top prospect for them, but he was the top prospect in a very bereft system as the Cubs really used all of their prospects to acquire players for the future um, or for the, for the present when they, you know, got rid of Torres and some of the other players that they had uh, and, and the other kids are up like, like Chris Bryant once upon a time and Wilson Contreras once upon a time. And um, you know, David Bodie and Ian Happ, like these, these were players in their system that are now in the big leagues and there's nothing wrong with that. After you win a world series, you're going to look at a team's farm system, and it really shouldn't be top-notch at that point. You should be unloading to win. So Alzale going into the offseason wasn't really thought of as their top-pitching prospect. And all of a sudden, this year, it's like the, the switch went on, and he figured it out in the minor league. So will that translate to the big league level? I'm not sure. But the good news is, is that if you're playing in a league where you have to make the decision Monday, at least you get this small sample of seeing him out there for the first time. With me and, and rookie pitchers, honestly, I'm very careful with this. It just like rookie hitters, I'm all in on, and I'll jump in on all day and try and get them. The track record for rookie pitchers in Major League Baseball coming up and having sustained success so small that you really have to blow somebody away on a weekly basis in order to make that happen. And so it would be a little bit of a test drive for me in terms of him, but I certainly would like to see at least the first start to see how he does. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, uh, you know, with these prospects, you never know if they have some kind of innings limit. You've already pitched quite a bit in the minors already this year. There's a lot of factors that could come into play if you go and blow your budget, which, you know, you play in some deep leagues. I play in some deep leagues. After the slew of prospects we've already seen, most people don't have any money left. So that helps a little bit, but it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, The Minnesota Twins had a couple of recent injuries. Byron Buxton to the IL, Marvin Gonzalez to the IL. Both reports aren't too serious. Uh, but both have been playing really, really well. When talking about Byron Buxton, 
we've been waiting for a season like this from him for a long time. And then, of course, he gets hurt yet again. Are you believing in this? Like, is this the Byron Buxton we're finally going to get? It's possible. It's, for, for so many people involved in the draft process to rank prospects and get this one wrong was really unusual. You really have to go back beyond Buxton to like a top-rated guy overall to a jerks and Profar. Uh, because in the last 10 years, virtually all their top guys that, that have been ranked by Baseball America and MLB Pipeline and some of the others have all hit. And it was looking like Buxton as the number one guy would be the second one in a decade to not hit. But I got to tell you, it did look like he turned the corner a little bit there with the Twins. And I understand he's got an injury now, but he's got skills that other players don't. And if he puts on a show here in the second half of the season, I could really see him being like a second or third round pick in a 12 team or 15 team mixed league. I think some of it was confidence and mental for him. And there's no doubt that when he plays in the outfield, he's, he plays with reckless abandon. He runs into the wall. He doesn't care. And he's been, I think he's run into the wall a couple of times and got yep. shaken up, but I'm liking what I'm seeing. I, I would say that I don't think that he's going to be Eric Davis, you know, but I, I think that there is a chance that we could see that 20 home run, 20 steal season sooner than later. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. 2020 is something we could see from him, and that's that's so hard to find. You just mentioned earlier with Adoboto Mondesi, you're drafting him almost exclusively for stolen bases. Well, you go get a couple of guys with, you know, 15 to 20 steal upside, and then Buxton throws in 20 homers with it. You'll be okay in stolen bases. It's a whole different way right. to, approach, to approach the category, which is the way I like to approach the category. But um, with Buxton right now, he's like lead, he's leading or he's near the top of the league in doubles, and it just reminds me back to a few years back with Manny Machado, where it's off the wall, off the wall, off the wall, and then all of a sudden, it clicks, and I'm with you. We can see a big year from Bucks in here sooner than later. Hopefully, you can just kind of maybe take some notes from Bryce Harper and others to stop running into the wall, take it a little easier, and we'll see what happens. Usually, usually the wall wins. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and and again, you know, him and, you know, Kiermaier, I think, in the past also was, you know, he plays very hard, Harris Bader, has just run don't really care um, but it's kind of funny that they all have had some sort of little nagging injuries through the years too you could even look at Lorenzo Cain who plays very hard in center field. these guys don't know anything but one gear and sometimes it gets them in trouble yep and it's hard to tell guys not to hustle that's the hard part like that's right you know, yeah it's, it's hard you'd rather have that than the you know the booze about Robinson Cano and others um, last piece of news here Chris Paddock most of us with you know our heads on straight weren't paranoid about him going down to the minors. That was strictly a, Hey, we need a roster spot for 10 days. You just go take a little break here. He's get, getting the call back up. He's with the big club. He's still going to have him, I think about 160 innings on the year. What's your thoughts on what you've seen from Chris Paddock so far? Looked great in April and into May and then showed some signs in June of slowing down a little bit. And so they're trying to manage his innings. I think that's obvious. Uh, I don't think, even though the Padres are definitely improved, I don't think this is the year for them. I could see them being 500. I don't think they'll make the postseason. So this really comes into a factor with especially like one of those head-to-head leagues. I know that I play in one uh, where I have him. And so like I am willing to get 70 cents on the dollar if I can for him just because I know I don't think I'm going to see him in September. I think that at some point they're just going to shut him down completely. But he's been really good so far. If he stays healthy, I could see him in a fantasy league being a very high-end SP2 next year, basically kind of falling right outside the top 10 or top 12, and somebody maybe double-dipping on pitchers like a back-end, second-round, first-pick, third-round kind of player. But you got to be impressed with him for sure. It's just Petco isn't really playing defensively like it used to. There's a lot more runs being scored there. and. Of course, you get those games at Coors Field, and that looks like we're going back 10 years ago to what Coors used to be with all those runs being scored. But, yeah, optimistic on him for sure. I have no problem owning him in any fantasy league, no doubt about it. You just have to know that come the end of the season, if there's two weeks to go and the Padres are 10 out, I think they shut him down. Yep, yep, that's a good point. I don't see them trying to, to waste that arm when they're ideally another year or two away from everyone being there and rocking and rolling. So lots to like there. Let's talk some Miami Marlins baseball. As, as many know, Craig Fromm swings and misses. He's been covering the Marlins for quite a while now. Uh, quite quite the news from uh, Craig there. He was there for all the big trades recently and, and whatnot. Pablo Lopez goes to the IEL yesterday. Big blow. You had some very good tweets about him, more even just as a person, not just as a ball player, which is something that gets lost a lot from fantasy baseball. 
Um, I haven't seen the full severity of this injury. Do you have anything on this? On like what, if you're an owner of Pablo Lopez, how you're kind of looking at him right now? Yeah, and first to the tweet about that, and that's a good point that you bring up because I think that from a fantasy perspective for most people, they don't have the ability that I have, and I and I consider myself fortunate. This is not me bragging. I'm fortunate to be able to cover Major League Baseball and actually speak to these guys. And so it does kind of trouble me sometimes when I see somebody – you know, on social media saying this player sucks. And it's and it's someone in the, like, let, let's say as example, in the fantasy community that's yeah. saying that too. And I, and I just wonder to myself, would you say that if you were in front of this man? So um, I, you know, everyone, I'm, I call it both ways and, and I feel like I'm impartial with players and look, I've had my fair share of ripping guys too. I don't think Kevin Gossman will ever talk to me ever again, uh, but, but it happens, you know, you you have to take stands on some players. But for me, that was just more about there is more to this guy than just pitching. Uh, in terms of his injury, he was not uh, added to the 60-day injured list, at least as of now. And trust me, this is what I've been following all day long, trying to get answers, and I haven't been able to get any yet. So it, it appears as though maybe this isn't a long-term thing. But Jose Ureña of the Marlins had a back issue that I was told could be four to six weeks. They just put him out on a 60-day injured list. And we'll just have to see what happens with Pablo at this point. My hope would be you'd see him at some point in the second half of the season. If I had to set like a total amount of starts that I would expect the rest of the way, I mean, I, I couldn't see it being 10. I'd, I'd say somewhere between seven or eight starts and just hope he gets back uh, sometime late July or August and is able to finish out the season because this is the second year in a row that he's had this issue. Yeah, it's a shame. He's really starting to turn the corner, too, after the kind of little bit of up-and-down start to the year. He's really put it together. And uh, at the same time, the Marlins really don't need to rush him back because they have nothing to really to gain by pushing him too fast this season. So hopefully things are good there. But I was wondering how severe the injury was because it was seemed like less than a week ago, maybe. Don Mattingly is getting questions on Zach Gallen, and he says he's doing great in the minors. He's not coming up soon until we give him a full-time gig. And the next thing you know, here comes Zach Gallon. So it made me think Pablo's injury might be worse than it really was or is. But uh, yeah. speaking on – Yeah, I'm not yeah. – you see, I'm, I'm – usually with the Marlins, um, because I do a um, you know, radio show every day, I usually just cover the home games. And mm-hmm. so um, as we're recording this, usually at this time is when, like, the manager, Don Mattingly, would speak to the media and let everyone know. But unfortunately, I'm not in St. Louis, so I can't really – determine that but i'm on the phone and i'm texting and i'm asking questions but as it when it comes to breaking news and some of the news that i break there's always that dynamic of having to be very careful medically what you say about a player because you can't be wrong in that spot so that's why when you see me ever report news on fantasy or even reality as it pertains to injuries i'm a lot more cautious because i just don't want to be wrong and i honestly thought there was a chance they'd move him to the 60 day today uh, to make room for Gallon, but instead, I guess either the results haven't come in yet, and they didn't have time to make that assessment. But they decided to designate Peter O'Brien for assignment. So at least for the time being, there is some optimism with Lopez that he wouldn't be placed on the sixty del- the sixty day uh, injured list. I-, I wouldn't expect to see him for a month or two. Okay, but and we'll come back to Zach Gallon because you mentioned Peter O'Brien. I was going to ask you about him. You know, in the last few years, at least in the fantasy world, there was kind of a little bit of optimism on him a little bit of power upside and everything. And it seems weird to me. I'm going to, it's kind of a two-parter here is they went and acquired Cesar Pueyo, who was designated from assignment by the, the angels. And then they, they designate Peter O'Brien. Can you kind of like maybe touch on Peter O'Brien? If there's anything, maybe a, a change of scenery will help him as a giants fan. I'm used to that with Mac Williamson or is Cesar Pueyo an upgrade and actually might have an impact with the fish or are these two guys that have no fantasy value at all. Yeah, O'Brien, forget it. He's he's had you know chances with it. I think it's eight or nine different organizations, and it's it's just never going to happen. And um, you know you just got to move on from that in fantasy and reality in general. Nice man, um, you know, very very could hit very well in the minor leagues when when the velo is ninety one, ninety two, and when the velo hits ninety five, ninety six, it's just swing and miss, and it's just. Um, he's just not going to ever produce at a high level at the big league level. Someone will always be tantalized with his power, but I've seen this now up in person in uh, last year, spring training and this year, it's just not going to happen for him. And 
hopefully he's able to carve out a minor league career or even better yet, go play overseas. I think he could have a lot of success playing in Japan if he, if he chose that route. In terms of Playo, the reason why the Marlins acquired him was there was some familiarity with their AAA manager uh, who knew him from his days with the Angels and what the Marlins have done more this year than in years past is kind of gauge the opinions of all their executives, coaches, and players. A lot of people are sharing their opinions on different guys. And so uh, since there was a familiarity there, they kind of uh, you know uh, pursued him a little bit aggressively and only gave up cash consideration. So he's someone that could play all the outfield positions, and they did have a player who was a similar skill set in terms of speed uh, in Rosell Herrera, who they thought would be something at the beginning of the season, but then they let him go yesterday. They just kind of gave up on him. So uh, my guess is Playo is, is a center fielder slash just fourth outfielder every every kind of every other day type, but he will get a start on Thursday night. So we'll see if this leads to more playing time. But they have no shortage of outfielders that they would like to see perform at a high level. It just hasn't happened for them this year. Yeah, I was curious on Pueyo with with the Marlins because when he had his chance with the Angels this year, he played really well and, and showed some yeah. signs of a fantasy value. I remember I, in TGFBI, I picked him up because I needed an outfielder and you know wasn't you know lights out, but it helped. He was he was helpful, so that's why I was curious. And on a Marlins team, he, he might find a niche there. Um, let's go back to Zach Gallon real quick. Everyone's been talking about him for a long long time this season. Been waiting for him to come up. He's getting the call. I'm assuming this is going to be here for a few starts, three, four, maybe long-term, we'll see. But just overall, what's your take from what you hear with the Marlins on how good this kid really is? There are people, I've been told in the organization that there's some people who feel that outside of, I think they think Caleb Smith is the best pitcher in their organization. But I think after him, you could make the case they think that Gallon is the second best and he pitched in a very hitter-friendly league in the Pacific Coast League and I believe was 9-1 and one with an ERA sub-2. So there definitely is high expectations for him. I don't, I don't think he's ever going to be a 12 or 13 strikeout per nine guy at the major league level. I wouldn't get crazy there thinking that in 2020 he throws 180 innings and strikes out 250. Like that I, I'm not sure about yet. But I could see him making uh, 10 starts the rest of the year. I could see him staying in the rotation for sure. Now that they've added him to the 40-man, it just really eliminated that problem of having to make him a – uh, a 25-man option and a 40-man option. That's always the key is once you start that clock. And so they, they did it now with Gallon. So I would expect him to be in the rotation the rest of the year. I would expect him to be in the rotation next year as well. So uh, very high expectations for him. And honestly, he just kind of popped out of nowhere a little bit. He was okay last year. You know, let's not let's not kid ourselves. He was okay. But you, he had some uh, brutal spring training starts. Like it, it looked like he just didn't belong at all. And then his last start on the last day of spring training really opened a lot of people's eyes. He didn't make the team, and and the Marlins had basically left to go to Miami, but they left him back to make that final spring start. A lot of teams do that. They take the major league team, and then the final spring starts like a minor league game. And I was right behind home plate, and he looked great. And I thought, wow, maybe a corner has turned. And, yeah, that's kind of the way it looks. Outstanding. He's going to be a fun one in uh, in FBC, TGFBI. Those type leagues will be a, will be fun to see how much he goes for because uh, the rumors before this call up because people kind of lost hope with what Donnie said last week was that uh, Dylan Cease was the next guy but if, if with Gallon up this will be fun to see come Sunday evening. Uh, you mentioned Caleb Smith there real quick. You know he's we know he's on the ten day IL inflammation in his hip. What's the latest we you're, you're hearing with Smith? Because like you said he's been outstanding this season and uh, I know many fantasy owners would love to see him back. I think he's fine. I think that this is a very minor injury that was more of an innings workload uh, situation. I think that had Eliezer Hernandez, who they have in the rotation, or Yamamoto struggled, I think they would have even brought back Caleb Smith this weekend. But there's really no rush. Both those pitchers did a really good job against the Cardinals. So they're going to give Caleb another week or so to get back in the rotation. And I think he'll be in the rotation the rest of the season. This is just, you know, an innings workload situation, very small nagging injury, no big deal at all. If I uh, had had another owner in a fantasy league that was willing to punt Caleb Smith, I would grab him. I don't think there's an issue there with injury. I love it. I love it. Uh, You mentioned Jordan Yamamoto, Eliezer Hernandez, both really good in the recent starts. Um, do you see either one of those sticking around for a while? Or like you said, when Caleb comes comes back, he'll obviously take one of those spots. But 
are either one of those two guys maybe fantasy viable here for a month or so? Yeah, well, I really yeah, that's that's the the million dollar question at this point, especially with Yamamoto, because the way that he's looked two times against St. Louis is as good as any starter they've ever had at the big league level through two starts. So uh, his spin rate is off the charts. He keeps guys off base. No one knows what he's going to throw. Um, but it was against the Cardinals, and the Cardinals in June are the worst hitting team in all of baseball. So that does factor into, uh, you know, people in the organization that I speak to never told me Yamamoto was going to be this good. So I do have a little bit of pause, of course. I want to see him pitch a little bit more. But I want to give the kid credit for doing it, especially the second time after the Cardinals just didn't change their approach at all after the first time against this kid. I just can't believe that they went in and, and tried to do the same thing and failed again. But look, he'll face Philadelphia this weekend. We know that's going to be a much t- tougher task at Philadelphia. And then uh, especially Yamamoto facing Philly again the following week at home in Marlins Park. So I would say after those two starts and after four starts in the big leagues, I would be more willing to put my neck out there and and for this kid and say he could be something special. But for now, I think it's just being cautiously optimistic with his starts. And and Hernandez, I think you're right there. I think Caleb Smith comes back. I think Hernandez goes back to the minors. Okay, good to know. And those are two big pieces. So is that gown and some trades where – the, the Marlins, you know, you listen to it firsthand, a lot of criticism for what people thought wasn't quality returns coming back. And we still have a long ways to go on that. And it doesn't help the Christian yell that gets every ball out of the ballpark. And, and right. Ozuna been up and down. But I, I, I was a big fan of what the Marlins did for just the viewpoint of your rebuilding team and you're getting quantity. You're getting really good quantity. And, you, you know, if one or two guys pans out, you're doing great. That's what you're looking for. Because a lot of prospects just don't pan out. It's just how it happens. Um, Overall, like what what what's kind of the sense in Miami? They have to be pleased with what they're seeing, obviously. But you know, Sandy Alcantara and other pieces. What are their thoughts so far on how this trades these trades are kind of grading out right now? Yeah, well, I mean the uh, you know, the first the first trade that doesn't get talked about a lot was the D Gordon trade where they traded him to Seattle, and we just talked about guys who only steal. Remember, it was a few years ago that D Gordon was the league's leading hitter. And then he got popped with PEDs, and and here we are two years later. Seattle would give D Gordon away if they possibly could. That's nothing against D Gordon. He's a, a great young man and a, and and was a good player in the big leagues. I just don't. I, I think he's his best days are behind him. And so they got out from under that deal. That was really big. Um, the Barcelo Zuna trade. Zuna's going to be a free agent after the season. It did appear, even going into the trade and, and in the middle of last year, when Ozuna started to hit, that wow, maybe the Marlins whiffed on this one because Alcantara was hurt and Sierra didn't look good. No one knew anything of Gallon. And now look look at it. I mean, they got Alcantara in the big leagues. They got uh, Gallon pitching real well. I, I, I don't think Sierra will be anything. But those two pitchers look like they have a chance to be a three and a four in a Major League Baseball rotation or a two and a three. And now Ozuna potentially could leave St. Louis without them making the postseason. I would have to say that looks like a win for the Marlins. Um, and the uh, the Yelich trade, look, I mean, there that's that's going to go down as a bad trade. <laughs> Yelich wins the MVP. Uh, you know, there's a lot of makeup the Marlins and a lot of ground that's going to have to be made up to make that trade look good. I'm not stupid here, you know. Brinson hasn't looked good. Um, uh, you know, Diaz, this kid, Isan Diaz in the minors, he could be their starting second baseman next year. He has some potential, so does Monte Harrison. And you saw Yamamoto, but let's be honest, Yelich is – is he's one of the best players in all of baseball right now, and they probably should have not traded him and been hasty in that decision. But honestly, you'd be surprised for me to say that the best trade that they made of all of those trades unequivocally was the Stanton trade. And people find that interesting when I say that because they got back players that you probably can't name. But the reality of the situation is, is that had Stanton not won the MVP of the National League in 2017, there's no chance the Marlins could have got out from under that contract and they'd be stuck with it. I don't think that Stanton in three or four years is going to be worth the money that he's making. I'm not sure that he is going to be worth it in two years from now. So I think Miami is thrilled that they got out from under that. They could never have have rebuilt this team in five years from now, still paying Stanton's $30 million, the previous ownership essentially didn't pay him anything for the first few years of the deal. Now it's when you got to pay. So uh, Miami still will have to cover a little bit of money in that deal if he decides to stay with the Yankees and not opt out. 
But believe it or not, in terms of the way the Marlins feel, this whole thing went down, they're thrilled with all of the trades because they got out from under Stanton's contract. That's the truth. Yeah, no, and that's a great point. I know we've talked about that before on a previous show is that that money, they weren't going to be able to pay him. Like, it was just not going to work to be able to field the team and pay him. It just wasn't going to happen. So you, you take the hit on the overall return just to make it disappear. And the thing with Stanton, as good as he is, you nailed it, is he's just so big and his physique isn't meant to play baseball full-time, I don't think, anymore. He's just always going to – I'm not saying he's injury-prone. He got hit in the face with a baseball. So that, that doesn't really count. But there just seems to be a lot of things that aren't going to pan out to be that consistent MVP guy and staying on the field full-time. So – uh, yeah, that that's a big one. There's this the little small one that Caleb Smith came from the Yankees. They're making moves, so that's always good to see. A couple more Marlins questions for you. Garrett Cooper is on. He's he's jumped on the scene and he's playing phenomenally. Uh, really, really good stuff. He has a hitting streak. He's hitting every game since, since June sixth right now, um, and he's hitting three ten on the season with six home runs. What are the expectations for Garrett Cooper going forward? Well, health was the issue for him initially in staying on the field. It looks like he's gotten past that, although he missed another game on Wednesday night, and so we'll just kind of have to monitor him going forward. Hasn't looked great running the bases either, so I'm not sure what the what the story is there. But, uh, look, when, when he, his bat hits the ball, it makes hard contact, and he can also go the other way. Uh, I would I would project him as a first baseman with the club next year unless they decide to go out and sign someone. They're going to have to, the Marlins are going to have to add a left handed bat to their lineup next year, either at shortstop or first or the outfield or somewhere because they're just very right handed. But I could see Cooper, uh, you know, playing 135, 140 games on a regular basis and hitting 15 to 20 home runs, batting 280 with an on base of 34%. And I think that's an everyday big league player. I don't know that he's a superstar. But in this day and age, when teams are just looking for guys to get on base and make contact, I, I definitely think that he fits that bill. So they're fortunate to have him. The key is just keeping him on the field and plugging him in in the two-hole or three-hole or wherever he is. So uh, I would say a everyday major league player with upside beyond that, probably not a, a, a year-round all-star. I mean, he is older at this point of his career, but uh, somebody that the Marlins can count on on an everyday basis. They just have so few of those offensive players that it's good at least that they have a couple now with him. And those those stats you're throwing out there sounds like a, a pretty good later round corner infielder going into the next season. So that's pretty good too. Uh, last Marlins question. I can ask you a lot. I'm fascinated with teams like this because they don't have the big names. They're not super flashy, but when it comes to you know daily fantasy or some season long aspects, there's there's relevance to this team. And Sergio Romo. As a Giants fan, I know Romo for a long time. Um, He's doing his thing like Romo does. There's a very, very good chance, as you know, he's going to be traded before the deadline. Who is next in line in the Marlins bullpen to get the saves? Yeah, they really don't have anyone. Um, You know, I mean, you're looking at two months of saves in fantasy. You're looking at a maximum, let's say, 30-60. You're looking at 55 games. You're probably looking at 20 save opportunities at the max, and you're looking at what what 15 saves converted at the max. So what are we really looking at? You're looking at somebody to get you 10 saves. If that was the choice, it would probably be either Nick Anderson or Tyron Guerrero. Those are sort of their best, uh, you know, later inning options at this point. Anderson got off to a tremendous start, fell back a little bit, but still has the stuff. I don't know that they fully trust Tyron Guerrero on back-to-back nights to throw the ninth inning. So I would guess it's the dreaded mix-and-match situation. But honestly, it is the Marlins, and, and the big league team is not going to win a ton of games from August on. So uh, I don't even know that I would recommend the handcuff. But if it was free and just holding on to somebody, it would be either Nick Anderson or Tyron Guerrero. And they they have a kid in the minors who I think that profiles as a potential closer to Jorge Guzman. They're using him as a starter, but I think he's going to be a reliever. I would circle his name for the future. I think he ends up maybe uh, pitching the ninth inning with the Marlins. They actually got him in the Stanton trade, believe it or not. That's one of the two players they got. So I'd keep an eye on him. Uh, you're right. I would assume Romo's traded, but we've never seen a trade deadline like this before True. where there's really a lot of pressure on the sellers to get their guys gone because they're not going to have a chance to do that in August with, with only one trade deadline this year. So 
You know, there's a lot of issues with that with Miami. They're not going to be able to trade Granderson. He's had a bad year. They probably won't be able to trade Castro, Starling Castro. He's made too much money. I would, I would guess teams will want Romo, but you know, let's also keep in mind if they don't move him on the 31st, he's there for the rest of the season. So we'll just have to see. But you're right. I would guess they'll, they'll do as much as they possibly can to set him up to a contender. Yeah, no, that's a good point with the new, the new trade deadline because. Yeah, not as easy to get clear the waivers like they used to. Uh, let's talk about a couple guys that have been playing some pretty good ball here in June. A couple hitters, a couple pitchers. Basically, do you believe in it? Do you buy it? Or you think it's just like a fluky thing and you'd sell them if you have them? And this one could be pretty simple. Cameron Maven of the Yankees, you know, Aaron Judge coming back tonight. You have Stanton came back a few nights ago. It's a little crowded in New York now. But over, since June 1st, he is playing really, really well, 464 Woba. Um, to go with a 375 batting average for Cameron May, but he's homered in like four straight games. Um, do you believe in what he's doing or is this a complete sell, sell, sell? Yeah, it's a sell and no one yeah. will buy. It's a track record of 10 years of, of Maven playing in Detroit and uh, San Diego and Miami twice and Seattle and then and, and a nice little hot streak for him. In, uh, in with the Yankees, but I, I mean, look, I don't think anyone's going to buy him, so you just put him in there until he stops, and then you cut him. All right, this one's fun because I've seen it mentioned a few times, and it's it gets a lot of interesting reaction. But Jordan Alvarez um, of the Astros, who has just taken the world by storm in the minors, and then since he's been called up at three thirty three with four home runs already in only um, eight baseball games, he's hit safely in six of those eight. Very, very popular commodity, so you could sell him for probably a pretty good ransom. Are you holding on him because you think it's a big rest of the season coming up for Jordan? I probably would hold on him. I I think that he'll play every day. There would be some playing time issues. I I suppose Altuve is back now. Springer will be back too. But he is the, the past, the present, and the future for this team. They just absolutely love this kid. He'll be their first baseman next year. Gurriel's a free agent, so why even play Gurriel would kind of be my point. Gurriel a couple years ago had a good year, but I I don't, I don't, I don't foresee them holding on to him in the future. So uh, look, he's looked fantastic. And by the way, those home runs are going a long way. And you probably could have said the same thing about Austin Riley two weeks ago. That would have been a regret for selling on him also. So it's just amazing. Honestly, these kids are coming out of nowhere from the minor leagues with this pedigree of being top prospects and actually living up to it offensively. You know, pitching, as we talked about, is another story. Very tough to find a a rookie pitcher that's going to deliver for you over the course of the year. But these hitters are coming up, and they don't stop, and they keep going over the course of the whole year. Pete Alonzo, like at the beginning of the year. if, if, If I told you Pete Alonzo at the end of the year had 24 home runs, you would have jumped up and down and said, awesome, this kid's on pace for 40. So. I'm not going to start selling rookies and I'm just just because they're rookies anymore. They're obviously way more prepared, and teams, especially teams like Houston, know what they're doing. So I'll hold on, Alvarez. Just for fun, uh, rest of season, assuming he comes up and plays, that's a big assumption. Do you think Kyle Tucker or or Jordan Alvarez has a bigger impact fantasy-wise? It's not close. It's Alvarez. They've fallen out of love with Tucker at this point. I, I don't think that I don't think he has a future in the organization or he would have been up already. There's been different questions about him so far. And look, the shine was on him in 2018 spring training. He had a phenomenal spring. There was some thought that maybe he'd make the team. He didn't. He came up, failed in that short sample. It has not been pretty since then. I know he's hitting in the minors again, but I I really believe they'll move him. I think they're going to move him somewhere else. I think that Houston will add a major piece again. At the deadline, they fell really short last year. That was a bitter pill for them to swallow, not to not to get that back-to-back World Series, because I thought they were as or more talented than anyone else. Um, I, I think Houston is, is going to be real hot going into this trade deadline. I think they're going to move Tucker on July 31st. Ooh, I love it. I love it. That can make things really fun with some of these big names out there. If that's the case, he was kind of off limits last year, so that'd be – that opens some doors. That'll be real good. I there. mean, Im- imagine, imagine if the, if the Giants traded Bumgarner. Oh, don't to, get me excited, to, uh, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> they traded Bumgarner to Houston, and then yeah. you got you could go and go to AT and T Park and see Kyle Tucker play every day. I mean, that's a possibility. What what if the Washington Nationals, uh, you know, got got Kyle Tucker, and Let's and sent um, and yeah, and, and sent let's say uh, Scherzer or Strasburg yeah. over, you know, for the for the you know, Houston is going to acquire pitching. 
You know, that's what worked for them two years ago when they got Verlander and they saw that they would like a repeat of that. I, I don't, I cannot foresee Houston not adding a pitcher. Let's think about this for a minute. What got them to the World Series and won it? Oh, so yeah, Dallas Keuchel, yep. yeah, Dallas Keuchel, Charlie Morton. Okay, yep. so they're gone, and the replacements that they brought in essentially this year were Colin McHugh. Uh, Josh James is now in the bullpen. Corbin Martin, who didn't fare well, and Whitley, who can't get anybody out in the minors. You know Houston is yep. getting one of those big pitchers, and imagine if they had Scherzer or Bumgarner to go along with Verlander and Gary That'd be Cole. Scary. I think I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it. Well, and what's going to make it really fun, besides the limited trading time you already talked about, is you already mentioned the Dodgers. They're going to probably go for another arm as well. So they have them competing against each other. You're going to have to throw a talent like Kyle Tucker out there. The Dodgers might have to go. I don't think they'll trade Verdugo. I think they're tra- they're finally playing him, but they don't play him enough to I think be in love with him. So yeah, that that could be a fun one to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, Scott Kingery since June first has just been on fire. Three thirty nine average, six home runs, thirteen total extra base hits, uh, four sixty four woba. Things are great with Scott Kingery. Uh, many people were kind of surprised he got the deal last year. It, it was a bad season for him. Slow start this year, but he's come out guns blazing here in June. Are you buying this is the Scott Kingery we should expect? I think so at this point. Now that Herrera is out of the mix, he's going to get an opportunity to play a lot more. McCutcheon gone too. It's just last year was a shame. And and as a young player who had all kinds of expectations by giving a long-term deal to and then being told, hey, you're going to play multiple positions and play like four days a week, it just didn't go well for him. He's a great player. I I really like him moving forward, especially in a dynasty league too. So I would expect big things from him for the for the rest of the season there. And and look, even with him playing several positions, if he's playing every day, there's a huge difference there. Like if he's Marwin Gonzalez of a couple of years ago, there's a big difference with that as opposed to not knowing when you're going to the ballpark if you're going to play. And players talk about that with me all the time. It's not a matter of what position they play. They want to know if they're playing. And Kingery knows if they're playing six games in a week, he's playing all six games. He may not know what position, but he can live with that. Josh Harrison had to live with that for a long time, too. So I do like Kingery a lot, and I would recommend them. Yeah, it's like what they say, you know, people that played baseball before is you're a creature of habit. And just knowing when you go to bed, you wake up, you're going to go play ball, not just not walking in and looking at the lineup card and hoping. It's it's not like, you know, Willie Mays Hayes in Major League hoping he's in the starting lineup. You You need to know you're playing, like you said. So that does help a ton. I think that's a good point there with Scott Kingery. Let's go to a couple pictures here. Cleveland Indians, Shane Bieber was one of the big hyped up guys in draft season. Very good start to the year. Little up and down so far uh, of late, but still pretty good over his last three starts. A 4.96 ERA, but a 2.39 xFIP. Point to maybe some bad luck along the way. If you uh, if you have like a, a do you buy that Shane Bieber is better than he is right now, or uh, is that it? Uh, look, I think that the Indians clearly have done a good job protecting him a little bit, putting him in the right spots, called him up, by the way, last year in the right spots also. But now they've thrown him into a situation where they don't have Kluber and they don't have Carrasco. He's got no choice but to kind of grow up at the big league level. So I'm impressed. I could see him throwing somewhere between 150, 160 innings this season. The only question would be, obviously, um, you know, when Kluber comes back, what happens? If Carrasco comes back, what happens? But excuse me, but I really like what I've seen so far. And as long as he can keep that ERA in mid threes, you're good. Now, for fantasy purposes, Bieber is more of a quality start type pitcher because, as you know, the Indians' offense has been a disaster for the most part this season. So uh, Cleveland probably wins their 80, 85 games, but offensively, because they leave a lot to be desired, I couldn't say that Bieber win more than like 10 games this year. But uh, he'll be a big part of their future, no doubt. Indians are are going to have to really reassess how they do things. They just went into the season assuming they, they had all this offense and Jose Ramirez completely went the other way. So hopefully they get things figured out. But for Bieber, I guess, long story short, he's probably like an SP3, SP4 in a 12-team league. I wouldn't look at him as more than that. All right, Craig, that'll wrap us up for this episode of Bench with Bubba. Uh, before I let you go, I want you to let everybody know where they can find you. you got some fun new ventures you're, you're taking part in out there. Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm working at the uh, Sports Grid Company, where I host a show every day on FNTSY Radio. It's FantasySportsNetwork.com. 
And I always tell people that show is a two-hour live show, but we're finding that there are so many people who are listening on demand, just like your podcast, where they could just go to iTunes or go to Audio Boom or Stitcher and just download it. Or better yet, on Google Play or on Android or even the iTunes store, you could just subscribe to it and uh, and consider it an on-demand show as opposed to a live show. But I do do the show every day live for two hours on Fantasy Sports Network, and uh, that's my primary two-hour fantasy show. And We'll cover baseball and then football once football starts in August and September. And then my Swings and Mishes podcast is, is available also in all the places that podcasts are. That's more of a focus on the Miami Marlins because I cover them on a daily basis. But we do bring in people from other organizations and have discussions about other teams too. But those are the, uh, the two radio slash podcasts I have going on right now. Mostly baseball, of course, this time of the season. But as you know, with football coming up, too, that uh, moves the needle quite a bit. So in August and September, we'll move over to some football. Yep, you're just like me. you got to put it off as long as possible. But uh, that's the way it goes, <laughs> yep. as, as much as we don't want to. But, Craig, thanks for joining me. Uh, I can talk baseball with you all day, and we'll have to do this again sometime. All right, thanks so much for having me. Anytime. really appreciate it. No problem. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 181 with Craig Mish. Catch you guys later. better with an auto policy from American Family Insurance. No matter what dreams you're driving towards. That's because our expert agents will make you feel totally protected with the right auto coverage at the right price. You'll also save up to 23% when you bundle auto with home. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.